And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Nagma Panahi, and she is Iranian and now living in the United States. And uh, Nagma, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you for having me. I um, was introduced to you through a mutual friend, Pastor Bill Shishko, and so we followed up, and uh, here we are today having an interview. You have a very interesting uh, background and, and history, and you've been through a lot in your life. The Lord has been by your side and has helped you. Um, could you take us back, maybe in the uh, early days, uh, describing your life growing up uh, as a Muslim, basically, in the early days? I was born in Iran, and um, the first few years of my life, um, the first nine years of my life was filled with uh, the revolution, Islamic revolution was when I was um, a toddler, and then the war with Iraq, and I just, the war was was in my city. I was uh, born in Tehran, the capital, and I would see airplanes dropping bombs, and at night, I'd go to sleep wondering if I would wake up alive or dead and I could hear the the difference at night uh, they would turn off the light um, the government with all the lights because the Iraqi planes would start flying over and would bomb and um, throw missiles and you could hear the difference and I would, uh, would I remember uh, staying up at night and wondering if um, you know the missile that I would hear with the squeaky sound was destroying the neighborhood uh, that was close to me. So in the mornings, I would go to school and I would um, see destroyed houses and dead friends. And it was really traumatic. But that's the life I knew for the first nine years of my life. I had a twin brother and we just uh, talked a lot and we asked a lot of questions. Who is God? Why would he allow this? And just so many questions about God. And the only thing we knew was Islam. So we imitated our parents and especially our dad, who was a very strong Muslim, we prayed and fasted and did all the Islamic rituals, and we still couldn't understand God or who He was. And that's the first year, nine years of my life. And uh, when there was there was actually a, a chemical warfare when I was right around nine years old, Iraq started using chemical warfare, and that's what actually got us to wanting to leave Iran and come to the U.S. for the first time when I was nine years old. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a very traumatic um, first nine years of your life. I have no idea how that feels. It has to be awful. And um, at some point, the Lord intervened in your life, and you became a Christian. How did that happen? Yes, we landed in California, and um, we still didn't know who Jesus was, never heard of him. And one day my brother came, and told me he was crying, he was shaken, and he said, um, Nagme, I found the God we've been looking for. His name is Jesus. Mm. And later, in the years later, I found out that he was the one that chose us, <laughs> not us <laughs> finding him. And, you know, he brought us to America for a bigger purpose than protecting us from the war. It was um, to reveal himself to us. And that's just been the most amazing journey. It was, it's been, it was a very hard journey because um, my parents got very, very angry. They thought it was the secular, non-Christian school system uh, in California that was converting us. 
and uh, they, my dad actually considered moving us back to Iran. Oh, wow. He said, yeah, he said, this is worse than if we had died in a war. You've lost your culture. You've lo- we've lost our identity. This is the worst thing I could have ever imagined. You've become Americanized, Westernized. And he was very angry. And actually, uh, the risk of us going back was more than just possibly dying in a war. My brother, who was um, nine years old, was uh, in Iran. They were taking little kids from kindergarten, um, and they would draft them. They would actually not draft them, but they would encourage them to sign up to go to war and die in the jihad. And my brother was actually ready to sign up. And if parents um, said no, then the Iranian government would arrest the parents, saying they're rising up against the Iranian government. So in the school system, they were um, really um, brainwashing the kids, the little kids, to sign up to go to war. And what they would do, they would make them go through mines. And the, when the mines would blow up and these kids would be, you know, lose arms and legs and die, then the soldiers would go in and fight. So my, my dad saying we're going to go back, it caused a lot of fear in my brother because he was no longer motivated to die in jihad, to no. die in a war. And he was a Christian now, and he was begging him. We were crying. And it was around that time that we had an uncle um, that had just graduated from uh, university in California he said, you know, I found a job somewhere called Boise, Idaho. It seems in the middle of nowhere. There'll be less Christians around. <laughs> and you can de-brainwash your kids back to Islam. They're, they're nine years old. You know, they're just, it's something they got caught up in. They're going to forget about it. So that's why we moved to Idaho. Wow. I had no idea that. That's interesting. Yeah, we had talked just a little bit earlier, um, a day ago, on the phone, just to kind of get the lay of the ground, and this is an amazing story. Um, Now, at some point, you become a Christian. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, How did the Lord work to bring you to himself? It's usually what happens in the Middle East. You know, God, uh, in countries that are restricted, uh, with no Bibles, no missionaries. That's what happened to us. Even though we were in the U.S., we'd never heard about Jesus. With my brother, when he came crying out, he said, I had a vision of Jesus. And mm-hmm. I, he, I just felt love. I knew that he is God. And we ran around. We were in a little apartment complex. We ran around asking um, people who Jesus was, and we got sat down. My parents, my dad was traveling. My mom was out shopping or something. So... Um, We'd been with a family member, so we asked, you know, who is Jesus, and they gave us, um, we didn't know English at that time, they gave us Farsi Bibles, and they told us about Jesus, and they baptized us in that pool, and um, and then my parents found out, and that's, that's when they got mad, oh, yeah. and that's when our journey started, it's our journey started when, uh, and, and it was through a vision, it was through, you know, uh, my brother seeing having a vision of Jesus. We had never heard about him before. We right. just, it was not the context. We weren't, you know, Iran was at its one of, you know, um, had just had an Islamic revolution. There was no mention of Jesus anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I, there was, I didn't even know Christians existed. No. Which is sad because the Persian history is so intertwined with the Christian history. But right. a lot of people in Iran don't know that the Persians were... Um, we're so our history is so so intertwined with biblical history. Yeah, it's true. Um, now jumping ahead, um, you eventually would become married, 
and tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Yeah, I do want to say my parents, when they uh, found out and took away our Bible, uh, they were re- they started reading it. <laughs> and I do want to say about, um, about I want to say, a decade after we were saved, uh, they got saved. So That's it was very so slow. They were, but it's interesting. It was the same Bible they, you know, they were had taken away from us. And it took a crisis in their life and in their marriage. Um, my mom started reading it. Um, and the crisis really helped the suffering for her to just start opening the book and reading it and that. And then my dad joined and it really changed yeah. all of our family and my sister got saved. So um, when I went to college, my parents were um, saying they were Christians, but um, they had started reading the Bible and they were on the journey. They were no longer resisting it. They were even willing to say it, but there was really, I couldn't see too much. They had just what I would say started on this journey of sanctification. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a radical change like with me and my brother, and it was just very slow. And so I was confused. I went to college, and I came back, and they, they had this. They had passion. They were taking Bibles inside of Iran. And so in the four years I was in college, I got involved with InterVarsity. And, um, I was growing. I had no idea they were growing as well. So when I came back, um, I graduated in 99. I... I studied pre-med. My brother actually went on to get his doctorate in quantum physics in University of Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) And I was expected to become a medical doctor, but I, you know, I prayed and I really um, wanted to take a year off and my parents were okay with that before I went to medical school. And during that year, it was powerful. I really, the more I read the Bible, the more I prayed, I really felt called back to go to Iran. So I went back to Iran uh, about a month after September 11th. And my parents were new believers. They were very upset. I can't say, I just felt a push to go. That's when everyone was not wanting to go to the Middle East. (laughs) And that's when people did not want to get on an airplane. So here I was, 20-some-year-old girl, um, flying into the Middle East um, on an airplane. And my, you know, I had the blessing of my church. My pastor prayed for me and there I went, and uh, my parents eventually, I really wanted their, um, you know, their, their I, I guess not approval, but I, I really wanted them to send me off. So as I was praying and seeking God, they did eventually um, um, encourage me, and actually, you know, they really uh, supported me in going there and helped me um, while I was there and, and so on. So they actually came alongside and helped. They were baby Christians and they just could not understand. We just, we'd left Iran um, to, they left Iran to protect us and they just could not imagine that I would be flying back into that country. And especially with President Bush at that time was talking about possible war in the Middle East and so on. So I understand their fear, but eventually they came, you know, they yeah. they supported me. So. Yeah. So you do go back to Iran and you get involved with um, Christian ministry there? Yeah, I went there. I started a Bible study. I started sharing the gospel with my aunts, uncle, cousins, anyone I could talk to, people I knew, because I didn't, you know, I was afraid to go in the streets and evangelize and get arrested. But within a year, some of my cousins came to know the Lord. And so we just, um, I didn't know any other Christians, so we just started reading through the Bible. I learned the OIA method. And so we would just open the Bible and we would each read a few verses and talk about it. And, um, and that's, you know, that's 
how it was a year for a year I did that. And then I met my husband. He came from a very Pentecostal background. Um, I came from a more biblical um, based church, but um, not reformed, definitely not reformed. But mm-hmm. when I so my when I met my husband, I have to say, I thought I knew a lot about the Bible, but I was careless and sloppy in my in understanding um, in my understanding of the Bible. So there was a lot of signs and wonders and uh, things that were happening that I, you know, and I was told that's the anointing of God. So I got sucked up into that world and got married. Um, my husband, I had never dated before, so he was, you know, he, I, I just, I, I thought, here's someone charismatic for, you know, excited for God, and that's what I wanted. I was pretty hard-headed and focused on Christ. I, that's why I never dated. I was, it was just like, for me, it was like Christ. That's all from age <laughs> of nine. I, that's all I cared about was the furtherance of God's kingdom and the cause of Christ. So when I saw someone who seemed as passionate, sure. it really grabbed my attention. So that, that's, um, we got married and then, um, he wasn't really interested in, um, you know, um, he really loved praying and, you know, the speaking in tongues and all that. He wasn't really interested in sitting down in Bible studies and going through the Bible. So um, I helped him. I All this stuff I'd learned from uh, OIA, Observation, Interpretation, Application, the minimal stuff I knew about the Bible, having really learned the Bible in college years um, since my parents had not let us read it growing up. So I used, um, by God's grace, um, I just help teach the house churches and then it grew within two years um two actually three years it grew from a handful of people to over 2,000 people in 30 cities they were mainly college students and uh we there were universities um that uh, there were university students so they would get saved and then they would go back to their cities and start churches and uh there was a university called Surah University which in this is, is the verses of the Quran and the Iranian government had started it in Tehran to promote Islam through liberal arts, like music and acting. And after two or three years, it was called the Christian University, because oh. so many of the students had become Christian. That is so, so wonderful. It gives praise to God. Um, we always want to see Christian growth and that sort of thing. But um, as the growth comes, these people, there's so much to care for. What what happens next with all these people? They got, there was intense amount of persecution and arrests, and some people we knew were actually martyred, and um, Said and I fled. Um, at that time, again, it was a baby church um, with, not very strong. I wasn't an organization. It wasn't very strong teaching or um, theology. And which is, looking back, I just, I know God. I trust. You know, I trust in God's sovereignty. But part of me wishes I knew what I know now, sure. and I could just transfer that over to them. But we left a lot of baby Christians, and um, that was sad. Mm. And we came to the United States, and I had my daughter Rebecca and my son Jacob, and. Uh, yeah, so we came to the U.S. I was already a citizen. I had grown up here. Um, uh, my husband, my then husband, Saeed, was not. He'd never left Iran. So um, he came here to the U.S. in 2006, and that's when our daughter was born. Yeah. So I was pregnant when we fled Iran. I was pregnant with my daughter. Mm. 
Now I'm just uh, looking at the clock. We have maybe 10 minutes left, just so we can gauge our discussion here today. Uh, we're talking with um, Nagma Panahi, and uh, I may not pronounce your name perfectly, Nagma, but um, you have a lot more to your story. But God marvelously uh, reached into her life and brought her to himself uh, out of Islam. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more you went through a very hard time after this with your husband. Yes, I, I couldn't, um, I didn't know a lot of Bible verses, so I couldn't connect how someone could be so charismatic um, in, I guess, what seemed like passionate for God, but um, could beat his wife and could watch pornography and could go out to the clubs and could... Um, commit adultery. I just could not put the two together. But I believed with all of my heart that if I submitted and if I loved um, to the nth degree, and if I, I that I was actually submitting to God and I was pleasing Him. The Proverbs, I, I was taught, you know, as a young girl, I was taught Proverbs 31 that, you know, I just c- connected pleasing God with pleasing my husband. So mm-hmm. I um, just did that. I was quiet. I was even told, you know, let him do what he wants to do. Let him watch pornography. Let him go party. You just be quiet and, you know, clean the house and cook. And so I really more than anything wanted to please God. And that's what I did. And in 2012, he he was traveling a lot back and forth to Iran. And in 2012, he was arrested. And the night before his arrest, he had been with a girl. And I remember just crying out to God and saying, "Is this, this is the life you want for me. Like, mm. this is the sentence. And I just saw God that way. And, it, it, you know, my Islamic maybe background, my Middle Eastern background, I just saw God in a different light. That, and sure. I so, so I submitted. And, and then, um, so his imprisonment really shocked me. I was, everything I did was controlled by him, what I ate, how I dressed. So I literally could not function without him. He had become an idol in my life that I had not realized. Marriage had become an idol. And Saying an idol means you're willing to do anything to keep it, including compromising the Word of God. Mm. And um, that's when, as I drew close to God, I didn't realize it then, but as he was taken from my life and put in an Iranian prison, um, I realized my whole world had toppled upside down. And I didn't see at that time God was drawing me closer to him Mm. and closer to his Word. And so I did, a, I did, there was so much praying and fasting and seeking God, and, and through it all, he uh, just, his, my view of God and getting to know Him and His decrees, His, his laws, and who He was, just, um, I realized as I was seeking Him that He, um, that I had idols in my life that I needed to repent of. And, um, you know, interesting enough, I couldn't see it then, but God was using Saeed's imprisonment to free me of mine and to release his his beloved daughter. And the more important thing for God was not necessarily a saved marriage, but an intimacy with him that I was I didn't have because I was under such darkness. Mm. And um it's a long story but of how God brought me out of that. And um as I drew as I studied the word of God more and more closely, that's how I got introduced to the Reformed faith, um, which I call I don't like to put labels because, you know, I, it's the biblical biblical um, view of the Bible is what I believe. And um, really a pastor, a retired OPC pastor, 
God used him to rescue me when no one else wanted to touch this oh, subject. When no, when no one else, um, Saeed had become a hero, and uh, no one wanted to touch someone who, who was crying out, help, I've been abused. And no one wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole. There was, you know, a lot of uh, stuff happening. And the only pastor that reached out and touched me was an OPC, um, retired uh, Navy chaplain pastor who'd written a book about abuse. And God used him mightily. He used him mightily in my life to refresh me, revive me through God's Word. And that's all he, this pastor did. He just went through God's Word with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. What is that book, by the way, that you're referring to? It's um, called, I think, A Biblical Perspective of What to Do When You're Being Abused by Your Husband, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something and it's by like pastor. that. And the author, is, he's co-authored it. It's Pastor Robert Needham. He's the OPC pastor. Okay. And Debbie Price. But yes, he, he's the pastor in um, California. But God just brought me... Is this, he brought the two of us together by yeah. his divine appointment and by his sovereignty. We're um, getting close on time already. Time really went quick here today. How about speaking to that woman out there who maybe is in a trap uh, similar to what you were? Uh, she has all the right uh, desire. Uh, she wants to serve Christ, and yet um, she's being abused uh, her husband is hooked on pornography. She's being beat. Any words of advice for that woman? Yeah, most women in America have not been in prison for their faith, which is, which is what I was advocating for, but they're in prison within the four walls of their house. And neither situation pleases God. Neither situation is of God. Whether you're what, what I was advocating for, someone in prison for their faith or someone in prison within the four walls of their house, and afraid to say anything, afraid to dishonor God by speaking out, and mostly, unfortunately, churches not believing them, I would say to draw close to God. Read your Bible. This is not God. What you've been told, a lot of, um, of, of submitting, even in abuse, and uh, even when there's adultery and pornography, is not of God. Actually, the most loving thing I could have done for my husband, I did do, and God opened my eyes, was calling him to repentance. Yes. Uh, first, first Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. God spoke to me through those verses and said, do you love your husband? Then enough, call him to repentance. And it was those verses that spoke to me. And I saw that if I truly loved him, I would draw boundaries and I would call him to repentance. I would separate myself. Um, I didn't want divorce. I only wanted separation. So my husband did not like when he came out of the Iranian prison. He did not like my call to separation, so he divorced me, which was devastating. I was afraid of divorce. But don't fear anything but wanting to honor God. Do not fear. I thought I would lose my children. God fought my battles. I have my children. He protected us. Um, I just I can go on and on. But don't fear anything, any human, um, and don't bow down to it, except the only one you should be bowing down to is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only fear should be fear of wanting to honor God. And um, draw close to God, uh, pray, read the Word, and know that this this is not what God it pleases God. He's not pleased with you submitting to abuse. And it doesn't honor Him. It doesn't glorify Him. It, it's not a marriage that glorifies God. No. So um, draw close to God, and He will rescue you. And Lord willing, um, as you call, um, may it be your husband, sometimes it's people in, you know, in leadership position, whoever it is, 
Um, sometimes it's a parent that has abused a child. But whoever it is, as you can, you know, to the best of your ability, separate yourself and call them to repentance. Um, you know, Lord willing, I have seen places where they have repented, and they've come into a loving relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, pray. Pray that God would grant them repentance, give them, you know, ha- have mercy on them, that they would uh, have a heart of repentance, and just draw close to the Lord, and He will show you each step, and He will rescue you. Mm. Each step is important for uh, a man of God. If he's a pastor of the church, um, he's under tremendous pressure to watch his own heart and make sure he doesn't have little chinks in his armor, as it were. He needs to be in prayer and um, Amen. Um, really be extremely careful what he watches, what he listens to, uh, all the above. Well, today yes. we've been honored to talk with uh, Nagma Panahi, and she's Iranian. Uh, the Lord brought her to himself and brought her through some very, very tough times, and she has some excellent advice for Christian women today. Uh, Nagma, one last question. If um, listeners are inclined to pray for the Iranians, any prayer request that comes to mind? Yes. Um, as you know, there's been a crippling sanctions and the economy, but what has actually happened since the revolution and as the economy, the situation economically with Iran has gotten bad since the 70s, um, there has been an amazing move of God where there's it's the, one of the fastest growing churches in the world, <laughs> um, getting right up there with China. And pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the women. Um, you know, a lot of women that come out of Islam, uh, their husbands can kill them. They can divorce them. They can take their kids. They have even less rights than if a man came to know, uh, became a Christian. Um, they can't leave the country. Let's say a man became a Christian. He can leave the country. Well, where for a woman who's uh, married or under her father's protection, each woman has to get permission to leave the country. So they're not able to flee. Um, and so especially pray for the woman, but pray for the persecuted church. As they're growing, they're paying the price. I am working with um, the pastor in California, the OPC pastor. He's been helping me teach to uh, some of these house churches, and some have fled to Turkey. And so we're working with them, and um, it's just devastating what the Iranian government's doing. There's an immense amount of persecution, even in, in the recent months. Yes. So we appreciate your prayers for them. That's very helpful. Thank you. Nagma Panahi. Thank you so much for joining us today, and God bless you, my sister, and God bless your children, and may he cause his grace to shine upon you. Amen. Thank you. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.